We have so many differences as human beings, and nowhere is that more apparent than in marriage. How do we come together in our relationships? Can we resolve the different ways we see the world? Will we make villains or lovers out of our spouses? What kind of story will we write? All right, everybody, welcome to Grace Life. How are you guys doing? So good to see you. Do me a favor, help me welcome all of our first-time guests, both here in the room as well as those of you online. We're so glad to have you guys worshiping with us. Hey, before we get into the message, I want to point out you just saw a commercial for Gen Ignite Weekend, which is for our youth. And, you know, a minute ago, we were singing a song about God doing revival. I'm going to tell you, if there's a place God is moving, it is among the youth. It is exciting to watch what is happening. They literally consume this building one day a week. Like, there's nothing else that can take place here. So if you have a student in 6th through 12th grade, I want to encourage you to uh, send your kids to that register. So right now, uh, if you're here in the building, just leaving these doors, you can register. And if you're online, uh, you can go either to our website or app and find out what you need there. Well, we're in a marriage series. Today's part two. And I always like to remind people just as soon as I say we're in a marriage series before the people online have a chance to go click, I don't want to do this. Um, I want to remind you that if you're single, that there is something for you. Uh, Matter of fact, there are several things I'm going to specifically address to you today. But also, I want to remind you that anything that works in a marriage relationship, anything that makes a marriage relationship healthier will make every other relationship healthier. There's always something that that can translate. So I want to encourage you, if you are single, uh, don't just tune out immediately. And uh, we're going to end the series next week with a bang. One of our favorite things to do is a Q&A sex talk. Uh, We don't do it on Sunday morning, but we do it on Sunday night. It is at 6 p.m. where we answer your questions anonymously. And uh, the reason for this is people have questions. Like, what does the Bible say about this? And and how do we get some help with this? And how do we, what do we know about that? And, uh, And so here's the point. If you don't have the church answering those questions, then you only have Google. And man, I really don't want y all using Google to ask those kinds of questions. So I want to invite you out next week uh, for that. And so if you were here last week, we kicked off the series with some really good friends of ours, Eric and Lonnie Schultz. They had an incredible story of what God has done in their lives. If you missed that, it's online. And uh, so today we're going to share a little bit with you. Would you guys help me uh, make my wife feel comfortable? She hates being on stage. Everybody welcome my wife, Ramona. (laughs) I do this all the time, and to not have to do like a monologue where everything is perfect in my head, this is like super relaxed. I feel like I'm on vacation where she's been stressed out all week. So my vacation wasn't very good because when mama's stressed, everybody, you know, that's how that goes. So, hey, look, every marriage starts out as lovers, right? I mean, if you didn't feel in love and on the same side, you probably didn't make it to the wedding day. Something uh, broke up that relationship. The problem is every marriage does not stay there. What happens is every marriage will have moments where you feel like you're married to a villain. And when we use this word in this series, what we mean is somebody that you feel like is not on your side, uh, somebody who might at times make you feel like they're intentionally trying to get you or or to hurt you. And, And so many marriages have those kind of moments where your spouse feels a little bit more like a villain than a lover. Sadly, some marriages simply break down to that being the entire state of the marriage until things completely fall apart. So what we're hoping to do with this series is talk about some of the ways that happens so that we can avoid some of them and hopefully get a different outcome. 
So we're kicking off the series with two stories that we hope will inspire you. As I said last week, Eric and Lonnie, today my wife and myself, because what we're trying to do with presenting to you two, two pastor couples, couples like who pastor churches, um, but to know that their beginning was really very difficult. Their marriage, they had to work through a lot because we want you to realize you're not alone. So many people believe they're the only ones struggling because we are so good at just coming into church with a big smile on our face. Hey, how you doing? Oh, I'm fine. We're fine. You're even holding hands, although you try to choke each other to death on the way to church in the car, you know. We, we fake it. And so when somebody is struggling, which is a lot of us a lot of the time, we think we're alone. So we've, we've wanted to share these stories with you so that you would know you're not alone, but also, second, very important, that you'd have hope. If God could do what he did in our marriages, then God can do amazing things in yours as well. Uh, if you've gone from lovers to villains, I want you to know you can go from villains back to lovers. And that's our hope. Yeah, so speaking of villains and lovers, my dad um, was, um, what should I say? Like he would watch a lot of American TV. So his idea of America was like, uh, it's a very, um, how should I say, like violent. a violent place yeah. because that's all you see. So you watch anyway. like crime shows and right, cop right, shows. Right. So and... um, when Jimmy came along, he was just uh, thinking, he wasn't um, sure how this would turn out and was he a villain or he would sell me on a black market or whatever. So <laughs> with that being said, I want you guys, uh, I, I want to show you what my dad's uh, wedding gift was for me. <laughs> Uh, that, that's, that's true. This was actually a wedding gift. So this is not, it's not what you want to see your bride pull out of her bag on the honeymoon, just for the record. Wow, interesting, um, interesting. And the good news is, this has never hit me. So can I get some <laughs> praise God it for that? It would have been the only time it hit him. However, um, we have made great schnitzel with this. If we ever invite you yeah. over for schnitzel, you'll get to see us put that to work. So... Um, actually, yeah, our fighting did start as early as the wedding day. Matter of fact, it started as early as the wedding reception. My wife got irate and mad at me for something I totally didn't understand, which I thought was somewhat unreasonable, right, you know? Well, uh, so there's a Romanian tradition where you kidnap and hide the bride. So they kidnapped me and hid me under some stairwell. So the idea was that my groom was coming to rescue me for a ransom. So uh, I sat in, under a stairwell for a long time with my dress trying not to touch anything. And 45 minutes, this guy did not show up. I was like, okay, I'm killing him. I'm just, I'm done. So then he shows up, like, hey guys, what are you guys doing here anyway? I was like, oh my God, I'm done, I'm done. I was so mad. Which, for the record, the Romanian tradition part of that, they didn't tell the American. Right. And it's supposed to be the best man who does it, but my dad was the best man, so I knew that he didn't. I mean, so I thought it was actually pretty inconsiderate and lack of hospitality for her to disappear for 45 minutes during the reception, <laughs> leaving me with what Romanian I knew to try and be friendly to all of her family that I'd never met. Because you know people come to weddings, like third cousins of somebody's uncle has a monkey or something, however that saying goes. And so, yeah, we were fighting. Um, 
And uh, then we got started on our honeymoon and we only continued to fight. Uh, the, just within the, the first hour, we were trying to check into our first hotel and it required uh, identification. This was just after communism had fallen and so they still had many archaic ways of operating. And if you know anything about me, I like to confront people who are not thinking and uh, point out that they are running their organization with stupid rules. And so one of the stupid rules that came out of, of the communism was that Romanian citizens couldn't share rooms with foreigners because that's how people escaped to the West. And so um, I, I had an American passport, and since she'd only been married about an hour or two, she hadn't had a chance to have her communist bulletin changed to her new last name, so she was still a single Romanian according to the paperwork. And we go to check into the hotel, and they won't let us have the same room. And on top of that, even though we're getting the same quality of room, mine costs twice as much for some crazy reason. Yeah. And uh, so I needed to point out to them how stupid this was. Well, I had to translate all this. So I would translate, and the lady was getting mad, and I was translating, and he would get mad. So it was, I was like, I'm done. And now so she no quit. Translating. So she wouldn't translate for me anymore. Because I, I know my people, they will not budge. And so that I'm was like, the problem. Because she knew her people, but now I'm supposed to be her people. And so instead of translating for me, at this point, I thought two hotel rooms is actually a pretty good way to do this honeymoon. There you go. <laughs> and so we just had a lot of fights on our honeymoon, and they kept going. Yeah, we actually fought a lot about money. I, was, I grew up pretty poor, so my, about $35 was my translating job. Monthly. So that, monthly, that's how much I would get back in the day. I don't think it's like that anymore. But anyway. You'll need to understand that was right after the fall of communism in a second world country. But yes, $35 a month. So we go to Vienna, I think we went. So the, the Western world is very, very expensive. So I just took a glimpse of the, how much the rooms were that he was signing for. And they were like $300 a night. So I was like, is that... $300 in dollars? And he's like, yeah. American dollars? He's like, yeah. And I, I think I blacked out. I don't remember after that. But he remembers very well. I remember very well. She picked up her bag and left. She walked out <laughs> of the hotel. She left me standing there to check into a hotel, and she's decided she's going to find one that does not cost. It was $300. Wow. It's a honeymoon. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so then we fought about everything. We fought about um, the finances with, uh, and our biggest fights were about food because I would just pour garlic on his stuff and he's like, no, I don't like garlic. Well, how do I know you don't like garlic? I just, you know, anyway. So, I mean, we fought about everything. So we waited to be intimate until uh, the wedding night. And uh, so we had our ideas of how this will go down. And, um, you know, and it didn't go down that way. <laughs> so we fought about that, like, a lot. So, yeah. So I'd like to remind you, we have a Q&A <laughs> sex talk next Sunday night. <laughs> For those of you that had things not go the way you wanted them to go. 
Um, and so, uh, yeah, actually, we both ended up, I remember taking quite a few lonely prayer walks on my honeymoon. Honeymoons are meant to be like with your, your new spouse. And I found myself taking walks by myself, prayer walks, asking God, what have I gotten myself into? So we ended up actually cutting the honeymoon short. We, uh, we just said, you know, since we fight every day and you don't like spending money and I thought I'd spend money to make you happy, it's not making you happy, can we just call it off and go home? And so we did. Uh, also, our plans had changed right before the wedding. We thought we would get to stay in Romania for an extended period of time, continue doing ministry on the ministry team uh, there, but uh, God had changed our plans and we were gonna have to move to America. And so within uh, six weeks of the wedding, we had a disastrous honeymoon followed by a disastrous family trip to the Black Sea. And now we got on a plane and have moved to America where she knows no one but me. Right. And well, he had a, a long hour job. He would leave by seven and come back by six or so. No, like 11. I, I felt like, now yeah. my culture is like very um, community oriented, so that we're always together. I just never felt lonely since, but when I came to America, I was like, man, these people must be lonely all the time. Anyway, <laughs> so I was very lonely and isolated. I had no car. Um, I would have to call my family home. And it would, back then, there was no apps, no nothing. So it was like about $3 a minute. And so that was not, because I was like super cheap. So that's we not- cheap, we were broke. We were broke, yeah, because yes, we were broke as well. But on the upside, uh, I learned all the cuss words from Jerry Springer. I mean, I watched, <laughs> that's how I watched. I was like, uh, like, wow, this guy, oh my goodness. So that's how she entertained herself, being trapped in an apartment with nowhere to go and people who and don't Murray, talk to their Murray. neighbors. Uh, so she watched Murray and Jerry Springer. And uh, true story, she, when she was actually happy, she met me uh, at the door one day. I came home and she said, hi, honey, how the bleep are you? And um, <laughs> we had to talk about which TV shows she was allowed or not allowed to watch. <laughs> So it's not, it wasn't long and um, being in the States and being uh, very lonely and isolated to realize that my husband was not a very nurturing and loving person. She's, uh, she's actually correct about that. Um, the truth is it it was not my natural makeup. Again, you need to know uh, May in just a couple of months will be our 25th anniversary. So we're talking about 25 years ago. Yeah, Woo, come on. 25 years ago and uh, the person that I was then, God's done a lot of work in. But my natural makeup, if you're familiar with a DISC test, I am a DC. That means that I like to uh, lead and conquer the world and I do it in a very organized way. She's an IS, which is, first of all, it tells you we're exact opposites, but it also means that she's all about people and enjoying the experience. I'm all about not enjoying the experience, just finishing the experience in a very detailed way. Again, very opposite. If you're familiar with Enneagram, I'm an eight and, and she's a six. That means I believe in conquering the world without counting the risk. She believes in counting the risk and hiding under the bed. And so we couldn't have been more different people and we began to do life together. And uh, I very quickly discovered that what she needed in her soul was not something that I knew how to give. And I can say that now, the truth is 25 years ago, I didn't wanna give it. 
uh, because I was young and immature enough to just think her, her needs are just immature or something. I, and I just thought that's her, her problem. And so we continued to just fight more and more and get more and more divided because we both had hurts in our soul. We were both broken. And, and I didn't know how to be, nor did I want to be, the kind of person that, that she wanted me to be. And, and so single people, uh, young people, I want you to hear something. This is very, very important. Romance isn't the same as love. Okay, if you're in middle school, high school, college, not yet married, I want you to really take that in. Romance is not the same as love. And the reason I want you to understand that is because we had a very short dating period, but it was incredibly romantic. We got married on our first date, do not recommend that. Um, and then six months later, we were married. Two months of that I spent in the States preparing uh, to get married and to get all of those details together. So we only got about four months of getting to know each other, and yet we lived two and a half hours apart, so we only saw each other about two days a week at best when I did ministry in her city. We really didn't know each other. But here's my point. Our dates were super romantic. Uh, she was marrying an American, which was the dream for uh, an East European. I was marrying a European, which is a dream for an American guy, right? And uh, our dates were just like what you would see in the movies. We would take a train ride to the nearby city. We would spend all day walking in the parks and, and getting coffee, fresh coffee at the cafe. Uh, everything was organic. You didn't even have to worry about that and enjoying pastries and riding the trolley around the city and stuff like that. And uh, I remember one time in Bucharest, we did this little rowboat ride. I mean, like, so I'm sitting there doing the rowing and she's laid back in the boat like this and the swans are there. And I'm telling you, every date we did, especially because it was a post-communist country, I could treat her like a queen for a couple of dollars. It was amazing, the, the dates. They were so romantic. Please do not confuse a romantic date with the ability to love a spouse. Because truth be told, romance is, it was all about me. It was all about making her think I was amazing. It was all about impressing her to think well of me. And so you go on dates and you're in that, that season of life and everything just seems amazing. It's either romantic or sweet or whatever, but that might not give you any indication of this person's ability to love you. And so uh, we moved to America within six weeks of our wedding. It only took a matter of months into our marriage that we began to consider the other person a villain uh, the majority of the time. Again, when we say that, someone that we feel is not on our side, someone who is causing more harm than good. And uh, that just kind of became the state of our marriage very quickly. Yeah, one of, the, uh, one of our biggest moments, and I think we just had Christian. He, Christian is our oldest, so he was probably about two, two, weeks. two weeks old. So I was like, why does... Uh, I want my mom to come and spend some time with me. So um, Jimmy was like, well, fine, let's just do two weeks. And I just kind of like, come on. I mean, just she's flying over the ocean. Let's just do two months. So. <laughs> Mother-in-law, visit for two months. <laughs> so, <laughs> so she comes over. And uh, well, we just found out that Americans will extend your visa or like, when you get if you the, get a visa, it's for six months. It, it, yeah, so she just found that out, and she was super excited. She was like, well, why don't I just stay for six months? And Jimmy's like, no, absolutely no, no, no. 
So I would just bother him like, hey, so no. I mean, like we've just been going on like for a couple of weeks about this. No, and I said, fine, I'm not asking anymore. But it was like, I had no intention of not asking anymore. So he's like, great. Um, but I talked to my mom and so one night we, um, so I had my mom, me and my baby were just sitting, waiting for him to come home. So he comes, <laughs> he comes home and we set him down. Uh, let me explain. <laughs> they were all on the couch together right. and they sat me in the chair opposite. <laughs> Clearly not on the same so, side. Jimmy, we have decided to, my mom will stay for six months. We just told him how it's going to be. <laughs> and he said, he, he said, okay. And he left. And um, I was so, my mom was just like, yay, we won. Took the child, went in the room, to her room. But he disappeared. So I went in a, in a bedroom. I couldn't find him anywhere. Conflicting um, feelings because I was excited that he said yes. But then I saw something in his eyes when he said, okay, that um, it's like a brokenness, like I really did some damage to this guy. And um, I, was, I was really um, conflicted about this. But I went in the bedroom and I heard the Lord, like, he said, that's the dumbest thing you ever done. You need to repent and apologize to this guy and send that woman home. And I was like, whoa, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. And um, that was a big moment for us because I found him and he was in the garage in the car, just sitting in the car, just so sad. So I apologized for all that. And um, I said, I will send my mom home the minute I get the chance. I will talk to her tomorrow and she will go. And uh, we did send her home. There's a whole nother story we don't have time for. Absolutely hilarious story on uh, her refusal to cooperate with the process. That was pretty bad. That was pretty bad. Uh, she did miss one flight, but she didn't miss the second one. And that's all we're going to say about that. Um, <laughs> we'd like to say that was a turning point, but the truth is that was an indicator of the state of our marriage at the time. And uh, uh, we, we share that because... I'm not the only guy that has thought the only place that he can be safe is sitting in his car just because that's how divided things have become. And not the only uh, wife who has felt like her husband doesn't understand her. I mean, we were at a place where we had simply taken sides and we were, we were kind of done. Matter of fact, the truth is our story, we stayed that way for another 10 years. Uh, we were 12 years into our marriage before uh, God began to finally break through that, which we'll get to in just a moment. But the two main reasons that our marriage turned into being what we thought was two villains being together, uh, number one is we never resolved conflict. Never. We, we never sat down and said, hey, I'm, I'm sorry about that, and will you forgive me? We never, we, we didn't even learn that that's kind of like the biblical process hey, I'm sorry for, and you fill in the blank, and then ask, will you forgive me? If you've never learned that, now you did. We, we had to learn it in a childrearing class. Like, we're supposed to teach our kids that? We right. don't even do that. Like, what is that, you know? But the truth is, we were really good at just uh, being silent. Like, we would just get mad, 
And then we would do the silent treatment for a day. Then we got good at two days. We got good at three days. We got good at four days. I think we actually did seven days one time an entire week. And we would never apologize. We would just get to the point after three or four days when we're both so kind of fed up with it. We just like, you want me to pick up the dry cleaning? Who put gas in my car? I'll be like, well, I oh, guess I put gas in her car and she's... I guess it's not mad anymore. <laughs> and uh, so then we would just kind of go back to normal. But our normal always had an underlying frustration, a fight that had never been resolved, words that were spoken that had never been apologized for. And so what ended up happening is the next fight started where that one left off. And each fight just kept escalating until that's why the, the silent treatment kept getting longer and longer. And uh, I want to share with you something out of Ephesians 4. It says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Now, first of all, there is so much here. We could do like an entire message on this. And I don't have time for that. But here's a couple of points that we want to apply to this concept. Number one, you can get angry and there's a way to handle it that's not sin. There's a way to handle it that is. And uh, one of the things that gets you into trouble is that next statement, do not let the sun go down. I, I've seen people try to take this literally, especially newlyweds, like it's getting darker. They're like, no, we've got to talk this through. You know, it's, all you end up doing the later it gets in the day is fighting worse. I, I would encourage you, it's not about taking it literally in terms of watching the sunset, but it is about taking it seriously that if you are able to just let the day pass, go to sleep and get up the next day without resolving that anger, a certain amount of it has begun to feel normal. And if you do it again, it begins to feel normal. And it keeps happening to where a certain state of anger and frustration and believing bad things about the other person just becomes your normal. And what happens when you don't resolve that conflict, when you don't repent of anything that needs to be repented of, you don't forgive things that need to be forgiven, you give the devil a foothold. And he begins to take advantage of every situation you give him in your marriage. We could do a whole series on that. But the second reason for us was the brokenness in our own souls that actually caused this conflict. You see, God puts two people together. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is that as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. God puts people together in marriage to make them more like him by highlighting the brokenness that's in each person. And our brokenness was causing all of our fights, but our brokenness was also causing our inability to resolve it. And here's what I mean, every person brings into a marriage or relationship, again, for those of you not married, two things. One is your level of emotional health and maturity. And the other is your level of spiritual health and maturity. And wherever you are, let's say you gave yourself a scale of like one to 10 and you rated yourself, but maybe better, somebody else rated you. And whatever number that is, you bring into that marriage. And so let's just say if 10 is great, if your emotional health is a four and you marry somebody whose emotional health is a three, you're gonna fight a lot. You're probably not gonna be very good at resolving. And, and so when we talk about this word emotional health, what we're talking about is the condition of your soul. We grow up in a broken world. A coach benched you when you thought you should have been the starting player. Somebody said something about the first time you baked cookies and, and it made you feel bad. And so then you marry somebody and they say, well, that's not the way I would do it. 
And every time that you've been hurt over what someone said, suddenly comes rushing to mind and you put that into the marriage. We have brokenness in our souls, wounds that cause us to react. Maybe you have a pride that causes you to refuse to apologize or forgive. That's a lack of spiritual maturity. And I could, if I could just say this one, if you actually think that the silent treatment is a way to win, that's an indication of a very low emotional intelligence. No relationship succeeds without resolution over conflict. And so the idea that we thought, I'm gonna give you the silent treatment until you give in, and she thought the same, that tells you how low our scores were. Because we actually thought we were winning when all we were doing was losing worse and worse and worse. And so our story of marriage is actually one of God bringing together two people whose numbers on both of those scales were honestly pretty low. It's just a result of life experiences we had had, things we had been through. Our scores were pretty low. And, and it's only because of what God did through each of us, to each of us, and what God did in each of us that allows us to be here today. Uh, people who knew us 25, 23, 21, 19, and so on years ago, um, some of them will be pretty scared for you to hear that we're pastoring a church. But God did something amazing about 12 years in. For us, it was not something we really volunteered for, but it was the beginning of a process. We, we went to a week-long um, inner healing ministry that dealt with the brokenness in our souls. It was for the first time we realized, you're not the problem. You're just revealing things that are broken in me. And then she realized, I'm not the problem. I'm just revealing things that are broken in her. And we realized, wait a minute, we're actually broken about the same things. Like we got stuff in common. We get right. to talk about the stuff that's all messed up in us, you know? And we, we really actually started to turn a corner and uh, then it's all uphill or downhill or whatever's the good news. It's all good news. Um, I, I, just, I was, um, I remember like, uh, I, I just got quiet. Like we started learning our, the cues about each other. So I, one time I got very quiet and he's like, what? In the past, he would not care that I got quiet, but it's like, so what is, what is it? So he would not let me just get away with it. It's like, you need to tell me what's wrong. Yeah. So, so what learned. you need to know about the condition of your marriage or whatever relationship, this is a parent, child, um, or, or brother, sister, friends, whatever it is, your experience as villains or lovers is directly tied to your emotional and spiritual maturity and wholeness. Your experience as villains or lovers is directly tied to your emotional and spiritual maturity and wholeness. I promise you. Uh, the truth is, it's actually a result of those. And so I believe it is up to each person to bring into marriage the highest numbers they can. So again, I told single people, don't tune out because I want to talk to you today because married people, we're, we're in it. And if we're a three and a three, all we can do is fight it out and grow together. I mean, that's a, we, can, we just got to grow. But if you're single and you're a three, get a mentor, get a pastor, begin to read the Bible, begin to talk to God. You can go from a three to a five or a five to a six or a five to a seven. I mean, you, you can do something before you get married. 
And then as you grow emotionally and spiritually, you also begin to see the other person's number. The truth is that three can't really tell if the other person's broken because they look just like you. And so the more mature you get, then the more mature you know what you're looking for in a future spouse. And uh, we just gotta grow. Um, one of the things I did because I just realized how broken and immature I was, I want I asked the Lord to show me what was how how was life to live with me. So as I was asking the Lord that I was just writing down things that I do that um, are not um, mature, like a maturity level or whatever. And another thing the Lord asked me, uh, he said, you have boys. Would you like your boys to marry somebody like you? And that just really upset me because I didn't want somebody to treat my boys like I would treat Jimmy or like, does that make sense? Right. Yeah. So we've had to do a lot of work. Uh, for you, that might mean counseling. It might mean pastoral counseling might mean clinical counseling, might mean the kind of ministry that we participated in for a week. Uh, it, it definitely means getting into a, a small group of people who can help you grow, who can be honest about what they see in you, and you can be honest about the struggles you're going through. When I talk about spiritual maturity, you need to understand that this is your ability to recognize who God is in your life, to live and to respond and to treat a person as God would have you do it. Which means if you're dating a non-believer, their spiritual maturity is a zero. You need to know that. If Jesus isn't the king of their life, they have no ability to raise that above a zero spiritually. They have no ability to hear from the Holy Spirit. They're not going to respond. They're not gonna be reading scripture. It's not going to be there. So if you want them to treat you like Jesus, then you need to make sure that the person that you're dating loves Jesus. That, that the, the spiritual maturity comes from a life of following Jesus and recognizing God in your life. So as, as we close the day, I want to encourage you with a passage out of Ephesians. This is Paul speaking to the entire Christian world and saying, I want you to strive for two things, maturity and unity. I want you to try for, strive for maturity and unity. And if Paul is saying this for all the Christian world, how much more so would it be true for two believers who are involved in a covenant relationship for life, right? So I want us to read these words, not just in the general Christian context of what we should all do one to another, but how much we should intensify that to our spouse. So he says this, therefore I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. And again, he's speaking as someone who is saved representing Jesus on the earth, but in marriage, you're representing one step further. You're representing not only Jesus that he died on the cross, you're representing the love of God, unconditional love. What God did for you when you were lost to send his son to die for you. And most of us in marriage wouldn't go that far. And so that's what he's calling us to do is to represent that relationship. He says, to do this with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love. We're gonna talk about that next week, how to do that. 
He says, being eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace because there's only one body and one spirit. If you're a believer married to a believer, what's crazy is you're literally fighting inside the body of Jesus. But we're unified in Christ. We're going to heaven together, but we can't seem to get along on earth. And so that's where the humility, the gentleness, the patience, and the love, godly love comes from. But again, you can't do any of that if you're not emotionally whole. And you can't do any of that if you're not spiritually alive. And he says a little later in the passage, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about. And when we look back at the way we treated each other, the way we acted, <laughs> we were children. That's it. We were. We were in our 20s. Like early, early 20s. There are 20-year-olds oh, that are going to meet you in the lobby. But... <laughs> But we fought like children, we acted like children, we treated each other like children. And he goes on to say, being carried about by craftiness and deceitful schemes because your immaturity opens the door for the devil. He has a scheme to destroy your marriage, to destroy your life, to destroy your witness, and he's just hoping you don't grow. Which is why Paul ends it with, rather, we are to grow up. He says all of that. And the only way we can do all of that is if we grow up in every way into him who is the head to Christ. Again, spiritual maturity, emotional maturity. And from my experience as a pastor, I've seen God do amazing miracles in marriages. I wish I could say it happens every single time. It does not happen every time, but I've seen God do things you would never believe. I've seen God put people together and make them fall in love again that, that had planned each other's death maybe I don't know I mean I'm just telling you I've seen God do amazing things and when you look at a couple and they seem to have it all together don't think it was that easy when you see a couple who's got it all together I dare you to take them to coffee and say so how do you have it all together because the answer is they've already done this hard work hard hard work of dealing with what's wrong in your soul and getting the help that you need at whatever level. And the truth is, not everybody starts at the same number. And that's why it's our goal that our children get to start out at numbers that we left off. But we, we want our children to not be as broken as we were. And so I hope that you want that for your children as well. But here's the truth, there are other people that they have it a little bit more together because they had a different upbringing. Their numbers started a little higher. You can't do anything other than deal with yours. Whatever number you would give yourself, whatever number your spouse gives you or, or whatever, get a pastor. If your pastor says you need a counselor, get a counselor. If you need some brothers or sisters to walk through life with you, get that. Because we need to grow. The only times we have not been able to help a couple is when either one or both, sadly, sometimes it is one. It breaks my heart, but there are days where one person is willing to do anything and everything and the other simply is not. And all we can do is hold on tight to God in those situations. But the times when we have not been able to help a couple turn their marriage around is when either one or both refuse to acknowledge that it's something in their own emotional or spiritual 
maturity and health that needs to change. So I'm going to leave you with this. It's out of Romans 12, and it says, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace. And there are a lot of marriages that come to us, and they believe that is as far as possible, as far as it depends upon my spouse. I can't tell you the number of times a couple has sat down in our office, one spouse has dragged the other spouse there and says, now fix him or now fix her. And, and you may be right that they need some fixing. Matter of fact, if they're human and they're breathing, they need some fixing. But don't think you don't. Don't think you don't. And if you trust that pastor enough to come and sit down in their office to fix your spouse, then you have no right to get up and walk out when they say you need to be fixed. We've had that happen more than once. Where somebody's like, oh no, 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 my spouse is the problem, and they leave. And there is no help for someone who believes. If it's possible, as far as it depends on anyone but themselves, live at peace. Look, I don't care if you're at an eight and your spouse is at a four. You've got room to grow. And uh, you know, one of the things that has happened in our life, last thing, for 12 years, the reason it took us 12 years to get to a turnaround point is because during that 12 years, we were each growing, but not together. She would grow a little and I wasn't responding well. And that would hurt her and so she would kind of shut down and, and I would grow a little, but she would shut down for that season. Then she would grow and then I would grow and she would, and, and, and we never met at, for 12 years but we were able to be patient long enough and God kept us together for whatever craziness for 12 years that we reached a place where we began to understand at the same time what God was doing. So if you're growing and your spouse is not, that doesn't mean there's no hope. Uh, one of the things we'll talk about next week is what to do in those seasons. One of the things she did a lot of that really helped turn us around. So I'm gonna leave you with a simple question. Have you done and are you doing all that you can do to grow emotionally and spiritually? We're gonna close by praying for you guys today. God, we thank you for every marriage in this room. We thank you for every person that represents a future marriage. If they're still single. God, we pray that you will lead every one of us to be humble enough to look at a mirror and to be honest about where we are so that you can begin to do a healing work. That we will stop saying, fix the other person. We, we get it, that needs to happen, but we're gonna stop fixating on that. And we're gonna focus on ourselves and we're going to choose to grow emotionally. We're gonna choose to grow spiritually. We're gonna become more like you and we're gonna get the wounds in our souls healed. We ask you, God, to make us do that. Trap us into circumstances that will heal us and will draw us to you and make us more like you. God, we ask you to heal every broken marriage. We ask you to turn villains back to lovers. Do an amazing work that only you can do by your spirit. If you'll just stay in a place of prayer, I wanna to talk to those of you that have yet to make Jesus your king. As we said, spiritual maturity begins the day that you say, this is not about me. I'm a sinner. 
and I need to be right with God. And I recognize Jesus died on the cross for me. It's a free gift of salvation, but every one of us individually at some point in time, and if that's today for you, and every one of us at some point in time has to respond and trade the life we've been living for the one he has for us. If you'd like to do that right now, I just want to lead you in a conversation with him. Say something like this to yourself and to God. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. And so now I want to live for you. I thank you that I am loved. I thank you that I'm forgiven. And my simple prayer here today is that you fill me with your spirit and give me a life of great meaning in your kingdom. Amen. Let's celebrate with those people and everybody.